Thanks, Peter and Alex. It's a, a long kind of double Bible reading because uh, we're catching up on what we didn't do last week. But as you heard, those two chapters, chapter 10 and 11, go together as one story. And so we're going to uh, look at that together today. But before we do, I mean, how encouraging was that to hear from Jade and Mia about their plans? I mean, people can spend all kinds of things, uh, their year 13, their year after high school, doing all kinds of things, uh, to choose to spend that uh, being challenged and growing in their trust in Jesus and serving in that way is, is, a, is a great ca- challenge, I think, and, and encouragement uh, for all of us. And can I encourage you to be uh, keeping those two in your prayers throughout the year and keep that piece of paper that was inside the newsletter uh, with you in your Bible or on your fridge so that you can be praying for them. But as I said, we're going to look at these two chapters of Acts now and there will be a chance for questions later on. Uh, so... Um, If you have any questions that come up on the way through, you can ask them then. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you that you have spoken to us and even more so that you have spoken to us the words of eternal life through faith in Jesus. That these are words for us that we can take hold of and benefit so greatly from. And we pray, Father, that you'll help us to be people who are willing to then uh, extend and share this great news with the people around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is the good news of Jesus for? Who is the message of Jesus for? And when I ask that question, I don't mean who needs it. What I really mean is who gets to be a part of what Jesus has to offer. If I could kind of turn that around on ourselves for a moment, why is it that we get to benefit from the message of Jesus, from what he has to offer. Now, that may not be a question that has ever even crossed your mind. It may seem like a complete no-brainer, a completely obvious kind of thing. But it's no exaggeration to say that without these two chapters of the Bible that we're looking at together today, we wouldn't be here. That is, a church of mostly non-Jewish followers of Jesus on the other side of the world from Jerusalem would be completely unheard of if it wasn't for these two chapters. And today we're going to discover why that is and what changed so that it could happen. And to help us think about that, you might have noticed at the very end of, or near the end of chapter 11, we are told that followers of Jesus were called Christians for the first time ever at this moment. Before that time, the word Christian did not exist. It came into existence in that moment. And since that time, that word has become internationally recognised, recognised around the world and throughout history. But I wonder what stereotype has been kind of added into that word Christian over that time. It makes me think of the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. People seen the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? In my mind, that's kind of the, 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 uh, the classic Robin Hood movie. Maybe it's a different one for you, but for me, it's Kevin Costner as Robin Hood alongside Morgan Freeman. And there's this moment in the movie where Morgan Freeman's character calls out to Robin Hood, but he doesn't call him by his name. He calls him something else. Can anyone remember who's seen it, what he calls him? No one? Basil? Well, he, that, that does come up, but he calls him Christian. For this African Muslim, the, the white Englishman, with an American accent, but the white Englishman, of course he's a Christian. 
There was a time not that long ago where those two ideas, you know, white Westerner and Christian, went perfectly hand in hand. There was no reason to think that there would be anything other than those two together. But I want to suggest that before the events of this chapter, that would have been completely unheard of. Whatever label was used before this point, disciple of Jesus, follower of the way, believer, and now Christian, before these events, it would have been unthinkable and unheard of that any followers of Jesus would have been anyone other than a Jew or maybe a Samaritan. And so, as I said, we wouldn't be here without the events of what happened in these chapters. And I think kind of getting our heads around that and starting to recognise that will help us to understand the significance of what these chapters are teaching us. That the message of Jesus is for all people because God does not show favouritism. That is, there is no type of person who does not fit the label Christian any more than anyone else. And we are the beneficiaries of that. And understanding that has the real potential to challenge our own biases, our own prejudice, when it comes to who we think the message of Jesus is for. So this whole episode is about God breaking down prejudice so that his message can go to all people because that's who it's for, all people. And our first point is simply that God breaks down prejudice. We have that first point up on the screen. We do. Excellent. And and at the beginning of chapter 10, if you can go right back to the beginning of chapter 10, we're introduced there to a new man that we haven't met before. His name is Cornelius. He lives in the city of Caesarea. And now to you and me, Cornelius might seem like exactly God's kind of person. In verse 2, we are told this about him. We're told he and all his family were devout and God-fearing He gave generously to those in need and prayed regularly. And then over again in verse 22 of chapter 10, he's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all Jewish people. And in verse 32, he gives to the poor. Cornelius is a man who knows that God is good and who is earnestly seeking him. But hidden in amongst this description of Cornelius is one kind of important fact about him that we might not notice. That is, Cornelius is a Gentile. He's not a Jew, he's Italian. And that might not seem like a big deal for us. I suspect most of us here are also Gentiles. But for Peter and for the church back in Jerusalem, this was a massive deal. So far in Acts, the the message of Jesus has been spreading and the church has been growing, but only amongst Jews and then amongst the half-Jewish Samaritans. And it didn't even occur to Peter that he should take the message to Gentiles. They were on the outside of God's people. And Peter couldn't even imagine them coming inside to wipe their dirty feet all over God's carpet. And so Cornelius was left on the outside. He's like a kid on the outside of a lolly shop, looking in through the window with his face kind of pressed against the glass, seeing the goodness of what's inside, but he couldn't go in there himself. And without God's direct intervention that we see in these chapters, it would have stayed that way for Cornelius and for us. But we see here God is at work in every piece of the puzzle to bring about this next stage of his plan 
He sends an angel with a vision to Cornelius so that he sends to get Peter. And he also does a vital work in Peter so that Peter will be prepared for his encounter with Cornelius. So Peter, we hear, was about 50 kilometres away in a town called Joppa. And he's staying with a, a tanner named Simon. And it's about lunchtime and Peter goes up onto the roof to pray. And while he's there, he gets hungry. Now, I don't know what Peter was hoping to have for lunch, maybe a nice lamb roast or some other kosher meal, but he certainly wasn't expecting to eat what God was about to show him. Imagine with me the vision that Peter has while he's on the roof that day. A tablecloth comes down from the sky, and on that tablecloth are all kinds of animals. And when I say all kinds, I mean all kinds, particularly the kinds of animals that Jews were not supposed to eat. In the Old Testament, God had said that his people, the Jews, were meant to be obviously different from the people around them. And that included what they ate and didn't eat. Now, we're probably familiar with the fact that Jews don't eat pork, but in Leviticus 11, there's a whole list of things that they can and can't eat. You know, certain types of animals, certain types of birds, reptiles, the list goes on. These were all things that were called unclean and Jews were not allowed to eat them. And now here comes a picnic rug from heaven covered with all these unclean animals and God says to Peter, get up and eat. It's unthinkable for Peter. No way, he says. He refuses three times. I've never eaten anything unclean and I'm not about to start. And even with a direct instruction from God, do not call unclean what God has made clean, Peter still refuses to eat. And the same thing happens three times and the sheet is taken away and the vision ends. But again, God is orchestrating these events perfectly because it's just at that moment when the, when the vision ends and the sheet goes up into heaven that there is a knock at the door from the men sent by Cornelius. Right at that very moment, and God says, do not hesitate to go with those men. God has given Peter a vision. He's given him a command to go with the men to visit Cornelius. But Peter is still not sure what this is all about. And I can imagine him on that road, on the walk from Joppa to Caesarea, where Cornelius lives, kind of mulling these things over in his mind, wondering what it's all about. And somewhere along the way, it's clicked for him. And so when he arrives at Cornelius' house in Caesarea and he's confronted with a house full of Gentiles, the, the human equivalent of that picnic rug crawling with unclean animals, Peter finally realises what it is that God was trying to teach him, that he should not call any person unclean. Have a look at verse 28 with me. He said to them, that is, Peter said to Cornelius, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. You see, God didn't give Peter that vision just so that he could discover the joys of a bacon and egg roll. He gave him that vision so that he would not call any person unclean. This was God breaking down Peter's prejudice so that he would discover the truth of the words in verse 34. Now I realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism. 
See, God is overcoming Peter's prejudice so that he will step across the, the barrier in his mind and step across the threshold of Cornelius's house, the barrier between Jew and Gentile, the barrier that would have stopped Peter from going to Cornelius if God had not intervened. That's our first point, that God was actively breaking down prejudice. Our second point shows us the reason why God was breaking down Peter's prejudice. That is, so that he would take the message of Jesus to Cornelius. Because forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus is a message for everyone, for all people. You see in verse 29 that even after God has broken through Peter's prejudice, Peter's still not quite sure why he's there. Let me read again from the middle of verse 28 into verse 29. Peter says, But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent for me? See, Peter's still not quite sure why he's there, and it's not until after Cornelius explains his own vision from God to Peter that the penny finally drops for him. And Cornelius finishes with those words at the end of verse 33. He says to Peter, Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And you think, well, what has the Lord commanded Peter to tell Cornelius? I mean, there was nothing about that kind of command in the vision that we saw that God gave to Peter. What was it that God had, the Lord had commanded him to tell him? But I imagine right now Peter having this light bulb moment as the final command of Jesus runs through Peter's mind and all of a sudden makes sense to him. Those final words that Jesus said before he went back up to heaven, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus had left Peter and the other disciples with a mission to tell people about him in all the world. But Peter is only just now realising that Jesus was not just talking about the geography of the world. He was talking about the people of the world, the people of Jerusalem and Judea, the, the Jews, the people of Samaria, the Samaritans, and the people of the world, the unclean Gentiles, people like Cornelius and like you and me. See, up till this point, Peter was happy with how things were going. The church was growing, but only amongst Jews and then Samaritans. But now God is breaking down that final barrier in Peter to bring that message of Jesus to the people of the world. And so he says again in verse 34, Now I realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts people from every nation. Every nation the Jews and the Gentiles, the English and the Chinese, the Africans, the Russians, the Australians, everyone. And so Peter then tells Cornelius the same message that he had told the Jews in Jerusalem back in the day of Pentecost. And he finishes with those great words in verse 43. Have a look at there, the end of Peter's speech. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I suspect that when Peter said that word, everyone, everyone who believes in him, he was just beginning to realise the, the, the reality of that word. 
Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness in his name. Not just everyone of the Jews, not just everyone who we might expect, but everyone. And right at that moment, God confirms the truth of what Peter is discovering. He gives his sign that this is truly from God. And so the Holy Spirit comes on these Gentile believers in exactly the same way that it came on the Jewish new believers back in on the day of Pentecost. They begin to speak in other languages. Now, some people think that speaking in tongues, as it's called, is, is the normal or necessary sign of receiving the Holy Spirit and conversion. It is not. Aside from one other occurrence in chapter 19, this and the day of Pentecost are the only times in Acts where we are told about people speaking in tongues. It happened when the Jews first received the message of Jesus and now it's happening when the Gentiles receive it as God's sign that this is the same thing, that he is receiving the Jews and the Gentiles on exactly the same basis. What happened in Jerusalem for the Jews is now happening for the Gentiles. And the real issue is not just that this could happen. The real issue is helping Peter and the church back in Jerusalem to accept that this could happen and that it should happen. That's the point of this whole episode over these two chapters, that God wants to break down barriers of prejudice so that the message of Jesus can go to all people because the message of Jesus is for all people. That's what Peter needed to hear. That's what the church in Jerusalem needed to hear. And that's what we need to hear also. So I guess the question for us then at this point is, what prejudice does God need to break down in us so that the message of Jesus can go to all people? No one wants to consider themselves prejudiced, do we? It's not a nice word, but it's almost universal. There was a study in the United States a while ago that was titled, Are Greg and Emily More Employable Than Lakeisha and Jamal? And the results were quite disturbing with over 1,300 job ads in the areas of sales and admin and clerical support, there were 5,000 resumes submitted. But the difference in callback rates between the Greggs and Emilys and the Lakeishas and Jamals was over 50%. The Greggs and Emilys getting more than 50% more callbacks. Prejudice is almost universal. Now, Peter's prejudice was shown to him on a sheet from heaven. I wonder what that sheet would have on it for you. Or for me. Maybe it is someone from a particular race or culture. Maybe it would have a hijab or a turban on it. Maybe it's someone from a particular social background that's different to yours. Or someone from a broken marriage or a single parent. Someone maybe who lacks social skills or you find obnoxious. What would God want to show you on that sheet from heaven? What would he want to show us as a church? And if I could just try and sharpen it maybe a little bit the way this passage does, who am I more or less likely to speak to about Jesus or to welcome in the name of Jesus, whether it's people here within our own walls or going out to the world out there? If we think, first of all, about within our own walls, who do we welcome most warmly at church? You know, I reckon we're actually quite a welcoming church. In the time that I've been here, I consistently hear from people who are new that that's something that they've noticed, that we are welcoming to them. 
But I wonder if we are at all inconsistent or selective in who we are welcoming to, or maybe who we welcome most warmly. If I could kind of illustrate it like this. Oh, I'm good, thanks, Dave, I think. Thanks for the offer. I was just offered a drink for my croaky throat. Um, yeah, at the previous church that I was at, um, it was also quite a welcoming church. But I did begin to notice, I think, after a while, that perhaps we did a better job of welcoming some people than others, maybe with those who fit in more easily. The, the young family with similar social connections to families in the church, or the young adult who was fun and friendly and easy to get on with, or the sociable retirees who were keen to connect and get involved, we did a great job of welcoming them. But then I think maybe of some others who we didn't do quite as good a job of welcoming, like a guy called Dave. Dave turned up at church with no shoes and living in government housing, and he just mentioned in passing how he would regularly steal groceries from Coles as he was going through the self-checkout. We didn't manage to welcome Dave quite as well as we welcomed some of those others. And so we as a church needed to hear, and we all need to hear, what Peter discovered on this day, that God does not show favouritism, and neither must we. Our goal as a welcoming church is not just to be open and friendly. Our goal is to live out this truth, that the message of Jesus is a message for all people, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness in his name, and everyone needs that. Now, people who walk through these doors who don't yet trust Jesus are like Cornelius, like that kid outside a lolly shop with the face pressed up against the window, looking in, maybe not knowing what, even what the goodness in there is that they see yet, but it's something that they need. And some of those people will be noticeably different because they don't yet trust Jesus. Will they hear from us with our words and with our welcome that same message that Cornelius heard, that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness through his name? Or will they hear a slightly more selective message, that people like us, whatever that means, receive forgiveness through Jesus? So become more like us and we'll talk then. That's who do we welcome in, but also who are we going out to take that message to? It's the same question, really, just now outside our walls in our personal evangelism. And Peter would never have sought out Cornelius if God hadn't done it for him. Who is it for us that we would never think to go and speak to? Maybe it's someone from another religion. We think, well, they're not interested, they've got their own thing. No, that's who Jesus is for. And I've known plenty of people who know that they don't have what they're looking for in their own religion and they find it in Jesus. Or people maybe who have a particular and obvious sin that I would never do, or at least not openly. Surely that's not who Jesus is for. We think God doesn't want people like that. No, that's exactly who Jesus is for. There is no type of person who doesn't qualify to step into God's loving embrace through Jesus. And God wants to break down our prejudice like he did for Peter so that we will offer them the same good news that was offered 
to us. Forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. Repentance that leads to eternal life. Now, if I could just finish by making one final point, and that is that this, what we see here, is the beginning of global mission. And because of it, it's the reason that we do global mission. See, chapter 11 takes the the lesson for one man, Peter, and applies that to the whole church in Jerusalem. They have to learn that lesson too. And the lesson for one man and the experience for one man, Cornelius, then becomes an experience for an entire church, new church in the city of Antioch in chapter 11. And so this one event with Cornelius leads the church in Jerusalem, makes them ready to accept the wide-scale conversion of Gentiles in Antioch and to embrace a now global church. And as I said, it is that moment that the word Christian first comes into being. It wasn't a word before then. And for whatever reason that word began to exist at that point, it has stuck. And it seems to me that this new word was fitting for the new global church. Christian is a Greek translation, Christ, of a Hebrew word, Messiah, with a Roman Latin ending. It's a multicultural word. And this small Jewish movement was quickly becoming a church for all nations, which is what it is. This is the beginning of the ends of the earth that Jesus spoke about in the very first chapter of Acts. The mission that he left his disciples with and that is still going today. And we are the recipients of that story. And we're also part of the ongoing telling of that story. This is why we do global mission. Because the message of Jesus is for all people, for all nations. And so as I think about the people who are doing this, who are taking that message of Jesus to all people, who we partner with as a church, this is why they do it. And this is why we partner with them. As I think of Neville Naden, who is working amongst Indigenous peoples to grow ministries to them across Australia with the Bush Church Aid Society, this is why. As I think of the people of Southeast Asia, who Josh and Nikki are going to train local pastors so that local churches can take this message to those people, this is why. As I think of Ron and Michelle Jennings, who've been in the Philippines for decades, translating the Bible into the local language so that people there can hear the life-saving message of Jesus. This is why. Even Jade and Mia, who are going to Fiji later on this year to help tell people there about Jesus, this is why. Or dare I say, for you, or for me, who could cross land and sea to take this same message to people wherever you go. That is why. Because the message of Jesus is a message for all people. And he wants you to believe that, whether it's the people around the corner or the people on the other side of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a remarkable message, forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus, that is available to all people. And Father, we thank you that someone, somewhere, sometime, believed that enough to tell it to us. And we pray, Father, that you help us 
to break down any barriers in our heart or mind that are preventing us from taking that to others. Father, this is a message that you have been working on throughout all of history so that people could uh, know the goodness of relationship with you through Jesus. And Father, may we so love people enough that we're willing to share that with them as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.